Welcome to the Conversation of Money podcast. I'm your host, Peter Komalafe, and you've guessed it, this is where we talk about money. And it is my mission to empower you, to help you make the best financial decisions possible. Why? Because money is a tool, life is for living. Let's go. All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Conversation of Money podcast. Um, Thank you so much for joining me again on a Monday morning as you normally do. Today's topic is going to answer a question that I get a lot and it has to do with the business world. And the guest that I have on the show this week is more than qualified to talk about this topic. She is absolutely amazing. I came across her because I am hosting a podcast in the new year for Pension B. And the producer of that podcast said that she joined a group online, which was full of business owners and entrepreneurs who have been working at home all by themselves, like I have for the last two years or eternity, it feels like. And you go, this group is amazing. And Alicia actually founded this group. Um, and what she's doing is incredible. But more importantly, the lessons and some of the things that she's been able to achieve are just mind blowing. And so this is a really, really good conversation for you to tune into. If you are an entrepreneur, a business owner, and you want to talk about, you know, how do you get the balance between maybe having a little bit of independence and still building your business because Alicia has done this. And she's also been able to raise quite a bit of money for her ventures in the past. She's founded one, sold one, and now she's on to the next one. So this is going to be a very, 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 very interesting conversation. Welcome to the show, Alicia. Thank you so much for, for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure and a delight. Thank you, Peter. So for the listeners, could you just give a brief introduction to you so that they can get a sense of who you are, what you're doing right now, and so on and so forth? Yeah. So my name is Alethea Navarro. I um, am a bit of a hybrid person. I'm the daughter of Spanish and Cuban migrants to Australia, where I was born and grew up. And then in my mid-20s, I moved to London um, and then traveled and then moved to San Francisco, spent some years in San Francisco. Um, throughout that time, I uh, am a serial entrepreneur. I started a uh, company called Skimlinks, which was not a very sexy company, but it was a very successful one that helped uh, media companies and online publishers monetize their commerce-related content. How dull does that sound? But it was, it was quite successful. Um, and after 11 years, I, um, I left that I had a sabbatical for a couple of years, and I have now begun my new venture um, in the last year called Flown, which is a deep work toolkit. So I do want to touch on on Flown because I think you've tapped into something that is, I wouldn't say it's unique, but you definitely identified a problem given that we've just been through a pandemic and people are in lockdown and there are a lot of people working from home, particularly business owners, entrepreneurs working from home. And you've tapped into this really, really, really nicely in terms of the service that you're providing at Sloan. And at the core of that is deep work. So for those people who don't know anything about deep work, I know this is kind of like your baby, your concept. Can you just explain what that basically means? Because when I first came into the Flown sessions, I didn't know what it meant, but it makes sense once you're there. So for people, can you just give us a brief overview? Of course. Yeah. So the concept of deep work is based on a book called Deep Work by County Port. Um, it's a great book. So for those who have not read it, it's a really um, inspiring and easy read. 
and and he defines deep work. It's 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 a similar concept to flow and flow states, which you may some of your uh, listeners may have heard about. But both of these are based on the idea that um, you, you need to get into a state of distraction-free, focused concentration in order to do the work that matters, to learn a new skill, to do something that's challenging, and to produce something of lasting uh, value. And it's when you when you work in these states, not only do you uh, experience these, um, uh, do you learn things and do you produce um, work of significant value, but when you get opportunities to work in this way, it's also at the heart of what it is to be content and joyful. And in the book, Deep Work, he talks a lot about craftsmanship and how, you know, in the, in the old days when people kind of had a craft, they went into a state of flow or worked in a deep work manner in order to produce something that they, that was an expression of their talents and an expression of their passions. And there was an incredible pride and sense of purpose that comes when you work in that way. And so the the concept of deep work was really fascinating to me because um, I had experienced myself um, these states, and this is what had drawn me to uh, this concept. Um, after I had left my last company, I, I went on a sabbatical and did a lot of travel. And I, and I noticed that when I was doing these novel or exploratory things like swimming with sea lions in the Galapagos or climbing Machu Picchu, I would, um, I would get into this state where I just became extraordinarily creative and I would just need to sit down and whip out a notebook and start like writing down ideas. And I became so fascinated about what it was that was going on. And that's how I started learning about and studying this concept. And so the, the concept of deep work is one that, um, yes, you need to do, uh, bouts of focused, distraction-free work, but equally important, you need to balance that with play and exploration and learning. You need to have uh, moments when you're exposed to nature because that is incredibly invigorating from a creativity perspective. You need to occasionally, uh, what Cal Newport in the book calls, um, take the grand gesture of going away from your day-to-day because being in a new environment or going somewhere with the purpose of working on something or thinking through something is incredibly powerful to for your creative abilities. Um, he talks about rituals of accountability and he talks about access to diverse people and ideas. And so the concept of deep work is a, um, is a lifestyle or work style that involves all these different ingredients and is the secret to, uh, not just work that matters, but a life that matters. So is this different to, cause I think many people who maybe work or have done a bit of work before may recognize that sometimes you're just so in involved in like a task that you feel like you're just in like that that zone you've got tunnel vision on a specific thing is deep work different to that or is it a little bit more systematic because one thing you did mention i do want to touch on this in in a moment within your journey is and this is evident in flowing as well in the sessions that you run in terms of yes you concentrate for a period of time but then you take a break you remove yourself from that you go off and do something else and I don't want to lead on to my next question first. So let me just formulate this one <laughs> properly. Um, is deep work more than just being in the zone, if you will, and cracking on with a little bit of work, or is it a little bit more intentional? It's it's a, it's the same kind of concept. So being in the zone is 
similar to what a flow state is and mm -hmm. similar to being in a deep work state. So they're all similar concepts. There's like nuances around each of those, but essentially, yeah, it's those moments when you know, you know, when you're working and things fall away and you're just so deep, like when you're, when you're writing something and you're really deep or you're working through a complicated spreadsheet or you're learning to play the guitar or you're surfing, all of these moments are flow states or deep work states. But when, when I talk about deep work, I talk about the mental and physical environment that you need to cultivate in order to make those states more likely to be achieved. And so that's that when I, when I think about flown, flow, sorry, deep work and what we're trying to do at flown, it's to, is to make those um, ingredients available to people so they can access these states on a regular basis. And the reason it's so important is that not only, um, my favorite quote from the book is that deep work is at the same point in time, increasingly rare as it's increasingly valuable. So it's valuable okay. at the moment because so like most companies now are knowledge companies, you know, they're not, they're not manufacturing, they're not, um, you know, growing things, they're knowledge based companies. Mm -hmm. And therefore, um, an individual or organization's, uh, value and money-making potential is based on their ability to think and work creatively and productively. So it's incredibly valuable to be able to think in this way because that's how differentiation and innovation and novelty can be achieved. Mm -hmm. However, it's increasingly rare because the enemy of deep work is distraction and banality and a lack of dynamicism and a lack of nature, i.e. the way that most of us were working pre-pandemic. You know, we would all go to the office. We would be doing the same routine each day in the same very built up environment. We would be having our, our calendar would be dictated by the meetings that were injected into it. And we would very rarely get chunks of time that we could focus on just going deep on a particular piece of work or idea. And then post pandemic, you would think that that might have improved because maybe we're closer to our, we're working from home and therefore you know, we don't have to do a, a nasty commute, but there are still problems that are happening because many of us are now working from home alone, which means we're, we're, we're battling loneliness. We're battling a lack of dynamicism that is critical in order to develop new neural pathways in your brain and thus our creative thinking abilities. And we're lacking the rituals that provided meaning and structure to our day. And so, yeah, that's, I guess, what I wanted to build with Flown. Uh, which was a platform that delivered all these ingredients so that even if you were working from home, you could still access the ingredients that you need to achieve a deep work practice in your life. So you've mentioned something a couple of times here, and that is nature. And this does lead me on to the next question because I'm really fascinated about this. And I'm sure that everybody listening is going to be absolutely fascinated to know how you've managed to do this. But you talked about, you know, nature being an important part to this. And I think from our initial conversation before, you know, we recorded this, um, one thing that amazed me was you managed to build a business, sell a business, whilst also not being bound to one location. You did a lot of that from foreign locations. How do you find the balance between being able to create a business, build a business, sell a business, whilst not being bound in the traditional sense to, I have, to have, I have my office in London, so I've got to be in London. How does that actually work? How did that happen? 
I mean, to be clear, my last business that that was acquired during the pandemic, that business was a co-located office and, you know, I went into an office every day, but I left that company um, uh, a few years before it was acquired. So um, I, you know, and, and the reason that that company worked that way, that was the culture that we cultivated. We were a very camaraderie driven culture and it, it really only worked at, um, when we were co-located. And I was very resistant at the time uh, to allow people to work remotely or from home. Then when I uh, left that company uh, and I, I took a sabbatical, I, very, I was always very aware of the power of changing location and exposing oneself to novel experiences as a catalyst for really deep, creative and introspective thinking. And I knew that this was the time in my life when I needed to do that. I had just left 11 years of running a very stressful business. I knew that I had something else in me that I wanted to do, but I didn't yet know what it was. And so the way that I um, sought to find that answer was just to go on, a, I guess, a walkabout to, you know, mm-hmm. play to my Australianisms. Yeah. Um, but I've always been a massive believer in the power of um, the odyssey, you know, to, to go out not with an intention, but with, um, as in, sorry, with an intention, but not necessarily a destination mm-hmm. in mind. And just to sort of be open to um, the adventures that came my way, the thoughts that came my way. Um, I, I, so yeah, three years ago, I then did a lot of travel. I, I, as I said, went around South America. I went to Mexico, went to Argentina. I did lots of walks in the countryside. Um, and I used to do all these things with a, a very particular intention in mind, like I wonder what the next, how will I change the way that I think about culture in my next company? Or what's my ikigai? I don't know if you guys know about ikigai, but I can cover that later. Mm-hmm. Ikigai is this Okinawan concept for how to determine your purpose. Okay. So I had all these like I, these concepts I wanted to play with, but the best way to play with them is to get away from your day-to-day and give yourself the space and the presence of grandeur in order to let those thoughts marinate. You know, it's very hard to do that when there's when you're in a city and there's distractions and there's people and there's buildings and there's cars. So I like to get away into trees and nature or, you know, grand valleys and, and you know, Peru and see, you know, what happens in those moments. So I, I, I did that and that was very um, constructive and helped me define what I wanted to do, which, which turned out to be flown. Um, and then uh, last year, I guess, I was uh, um, looking at starting it. But then, of course, the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. And I spent, you know, the first lockdown by myself and found that very challenging. So as soon as the restrictions eased somewhat, I was like, Mm-mm, I'm not doing this again. There's no way that I can be my creative enough self if I am confined to a small place. So I packed up my car and my puppy. And I hit the road and I, uh, I drove to Portugal and spent five months traveling around one week or every two weeks changing to a different place and then uh, went to Spain and did the same. And it was at the time, uh, you know, not that hard because really all of us were uh, adjusting to what it meant to be working remotely. Mm-hmm. But, um, of course, there was an extra complication because I was not just trying to find a home, but I was trying to find places that I could work from and be creative from. But I, I just, I guess I chose to see it as part of my creative process 
and as much as possible in all these beautiful places to spend time in nature to really um, to do the heavy lifting thinking that needed to be done ahead of what I knew was going to be a very intense period of actual work, which is what I'm in now. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And I think that's really, really important because I think a lot of people have this, um, I don't know, I don't know whether it's kind of like this idea of a digital nomad and not being bound to a location is very, very appealing. And I don't know, sometimes I approach, I'm like, "Mm, really, with a little bit of skepticism, but you're kind of like testament to the fact that actually that can happen. And that is something that you are doing currently. Do you find it challenging being in different locations to be able to run what you're doing at Flow? I mean, let's be clear. There's no one single thing that is without challenges or consequences or difficulties. Mm-hmm. Working remotely is is hard. I mean, it's probably not as hard if you're just by yourself, but we started, you know, I did my fundraise completely while on the road and that was easy because that was just a lot of Zoom calls um, and they were one-off, very discreet, um, you know, um, yeah, calls. But then I had to hire people and that was okay. But then I had to create a culture, create a plan, brainstorm, collaborate, align. And those things are harder remotely. They are infinitely easier to do when you're in a room with a group of people and a whiteboard. Um, But it was fine because at that time, most of us were all battling with this. So it was not like we were the pioneers in some new way of working. But um, flown, um, we recognize that our, our, all of our customers are people that are working remotely. And so even though now sometimes it's kind of tempting to think, oh, maybe it's easier if we do uh, co-locate, co-locate again, the truth is that we need to empathize with our customers. And there's actually a lot of benefits that come from working remotely. So we, the best that we can do is be very aware and very um very understanding of the fundamental challenges and some things are just going to be harder and we have to put a lot more conscious effort into overriding the things that are hard. So collaboration, brainstorming, alignment, those things are harder remotely. They just are. And we have to spend more time doing it and it can be frustrating. But that's the price that we pay for being able to go, you know what, I'm going to work at Lisbon for the next couple of months or wonder what a beef is like over the winter. And, uh, and that for me personally has been amazing because it's meant that I, I'm exposed on a regular basis to novel and exploratory experiences. And I get to be very regularly in places that are very nature filled. And for me, that is incredibly impactful and beneficial to my creative process. Excellent. Now you mentioned that you, you raise capital for, for Flown. That, this is a question that I get all of the time. And it's quite a common one. Uh, Pete, you know, um, I need to raise capital. How do I even begin? And my question to you is that, you know, as a serial entrepreneur, how important is raising capital for a business? And at what point is it appropriate? Because I think there's a, there's a confusion. I think it's sexy now to be raising capital. But I always ask people and say, well, actually, do you actually need to at this point in time? What's your what's your perspective on this, having done this a couple of times? So I the the, the rule of thumb really is don't do it unless you want um unless you think that this is going to be a business that has the potential to be, you know, a a you know hundred million 
dollar revenue business. Because if you don't, it's um, it, when you take on investors, you take on not only responsibility, but you're, there's only one path that it can go. Because the way that investors then are repaid is either through dividends, but really the majority of reasons that investors put money into a business is that they expect a capital return, which means they expect that someone will buy your company for a multiple. That means that they get a return that far outweighs what they would be able to get in any other place. That's literally the thinking that goes on. So if you're not able to demonstrate that that injection of capital is going to make your business so much more valuable that within five to 10 years time, that company could be sold for like more than a hundred times worth what it is now, then it's just a path that's going to lead to either misery or misfortune for all involved. Now, that being said, um, you don't know if your business is going to be that. And if you're if you're building um, an asset of some sort that's going to appreciate, so whether that's going to be um, some software that can scale or content assets that are unique and highly scalable, um, those are the kind of businesses that lend themselves well to venture funding. And luckily in the UK, there are so many fantastic um um, arrangements and schemes to enable and encourage uh, angel investment. So, the for most like new start new starters, um, there's a concept called SEIS and EIS, and mm-hmm. they are I feel they stand for. Um, but SEIS basically means that the first 150,000 pounds that you raise as angel investment, um, the the investor gets a lot of tax benefits. They get a rebate in their tax return. Plus it means that when you eventually sell the company, they don't pay capital gains. There's a lot of restrictions. So obviously talk to your accountant and do the reading, but the most common way to raise money as an early stage startup is under SEIS. And that is so appealing to many investors because from their perspective, they get, I think like 50% back on their tax return. So it can reduce the amount of tax that they pay. And it's, so it feels almost like, you know, a nice safe bet, you know, yeah. worst case you don't work, but then, you know, they've made a little bit of a tax saving. Yeah. Um, but the second that you take money on, you no longer um, own the company. And that's not necessarily the problem because I think a lot of early stage uh, founders obsess about ownership. And the truth is that it doesn't really matter in the sense that you, as long as you generally always get to maintain control and very, very, very rarely will any investors do something that's not in the best interest of the founder because the founder is the person that has the only and best chance of making that business a success. Mm-hmm. So it's less about how much of the company you own, but more about the fact that this the only path that you have it, once you take investors is to build a company that will be sold one day. So I guess that's the first thing you need to think of. Do you think this is a company that will be worth more in the next five to 10 years that it will be acquired and you can pay back your investors with a nice return? I think you touched on some really important points there because, you know, when I get asked the question, I kind of say exactly the same thing because I think ultimately when you have investors on board, they want a return. So it's not, they're not giving you money. There is an expectation there. I wonder how do you, how have you, dealt with that expectation of, okay, the pitch was this, this is what they're expecting. 
how do you manage that? How have you dealt with it from a personal point of view? Or is it simply the fact that you, you, you understand what your pitch is, you understand what the business is, you understand what the plan is, and you derive comfort and confidence in knowing that you know what your numbers are, you know what your trajectory and your journey is? The truth is no one knows. No one knows. They're just very good at either faking it till they make it or have, um, in my case, I just have confidence that I'll work it out along the way. And mm -hmm. most investors will understand that that's the case. Like you can have, the reason that you have plans and that you demonstrate them is not because you're expected to match them perfectly, but because I guess investors are assessing your ability to think through the risks, the contingencies, how you're thinking about your finances and your runway. It's an exercise to prove you're capable, not something that you have to necessarily stick to. So I think so the way that I deal with it is I guess I'm used to it. You know, I, I sometimes think to myself, God, I really do make my life difficult because I keep running these venture backed companies. And it is, it, you know, it, there's a lot of heaviness that you have to deal with as a result of that. There's constant pressure on your shoulders because you know that there's only one way that this can end. Well, there's two. You either make it and you sell for a lot or you fail, really. And that's a lot of pressure. But uh, for me personally, I'm comfortable with it. I, I understand the rules of the game. I understand that, and it is, it's a game. And I see it as a game. And that's how I deal with the stress of it. It's a game with rules that I mostly get. And I think I'm pretty good at playing it, but I might fail, but that's okay. Because at least it will be a good game. That's what goes on in my head. But I think that if you're not capable of that, stay away from it because it's it doesn't solve the problems. There's a lot more ease in many ways in building a business that is um, yours to walk away from whenever you choose. I can't do that. Yeah. I mean, those are some really, really good points. So um, I guess for me in kind of like concluding this conversation, I would love to know what your top three tips for entrepreneurs and business owners would be if you sat down with someone who's maybe just starting out or looking to um, explore an idea and turn that into a business? Um, okay. So my first uh, top tip is around uh, finding your tribe, finding a community. Um, when I first started my last company, uh, Scamlinks, I was very lucky to have fallen with a crew of other entrepreneurs that were at around the state, same stage as me. And we went drinking and went skiing and went on holidays together. And from that kernel of a group, uh, we grew a really large community. And so now there's uh, and, and now there's many of these kinds of communities of other founders, entrepreneurs, and business owners. That is my lifeblood. Uh, they are my friends. They are my uh, the people I call when I need advice or I need to cry about something. Having other people, a cohort that you can go through this journey with. And it's not just about swapping tips. It's not transactional. It's about feeling like you're not insane because you're mm -hmm. worrying about this thing. You know, that yeah. sense of camaraderie. Uh, and community is the most valuable thing in this journey. The second uh, tip is to recognize that it's a it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And I know people say that all the time, but you have to take care of yourself because you are the business. And if you're um, burning the candle at both ends or if you're super anxious all the time or you're not giving yourself time to do deep work, you're not going to succeed in the long term. And so you have to cultivate a process that appreciates that sometimes you need time to get away by yourself. Sometimes you need to meditate or to exercise. 
and time taken out of the day to do these things is an investment in the business and in yourself. They're not a waste of time. You have to see this as a marathon. There's too many issues with mental health and founders. You need to stay on top of this. And then the third thing, um, there's a great quote. I think it was from Jim Collins on good to great, which is, um, and I'm badly paraphrasing this, but get the right people on the bus. And so what that means is businesses are always about people and you can't build a business with people that are not, um, they're not on the bus with you. So you've got to be very selective about who joins you on that bus, both from a team perspective, an investor perspective, even a customer perspective, who's on that bus, uh, because that decision will determine not just your success, but how, what you become, it, it defines your strategy, it defines your likelihood of success. So choose your team and choose your backers well. And once you've got the right people on the bus, the bus can go anywhere. Amazing. That's brilliant. So before we close this off, Felicia, can you please tell people how they can find you? And by the way, if you're listening to this and you are kind of like working from home, even if you are employed, by the way, but particularly if you're on your own journey, you're an entrepreneur, you're a business owner, you should definitely consider joining Flown. Um, I know that you've got an offer on at the moment um, for people who actually join. So just tell us quickly a little bit about that for listeners. Yeah, no problem. So so Flown, F-L-O-W-N.com, uh, is a deep work toolkit. So we provide tools that help you focus when you work and tools that help you recharge your focus when you're not. The main product that people use at the moment uh, when they join is called Flocks, which are our online deep work sessions. Sounds nuts because why would you join a silent Zoom call? But basically you join uh, and we run different types of sessions. So there's a morning takeoff, which is like a morning ritual that just gets your day started. It's 20 minutes of meditation, journaling and goal setting amongst fellow professionals. And that's at 9.30 a.m. each morning in the UK. Uh, and then we run deep dives, which are two hour long silent deep work sessions. Um, there's one at 11 and we're going to be changing one to be uh, there's one at four, but that's an hour long. So you join, you set your, you just state what it is you're going to achieve for those two hours and you work in silence with the Zoom video on. It sounds nuts, but the quality of the facilitator that is leading that session is, is a key part of the reason why it works. They hold space, they create a sense of community and connection, and you'll be amazed at how much that sense of being observed gently and that sense of accountability will help keep you focused and get more done in those two hours than you would. And the idea is that you, um, when you when you join Flown, you can add, you can choose to have uh, flocks automatically added to your calendar, or you can subscribe to the calendar feed. And what it means is then you're protecting your time for deep work because, and I, I have to do this. If I don't protect my time for deep work, my day gets filled, filled. with yeah. meetings scattered throughout the day. Yeah. And there's this really interesting statistic. Did you know it takes 25 minutes to get back into a deep work state after you've been interrupted? I so, didn't know that. Yeah. And, and again, you probably feel that like if you, you've got a meeting and then maybe you've got a 20 minute break and then another meeting, there's no way you're going to do anything valuable in those 20 minutes in between. And so your entire day sometimes can feel like it's frittered away in things that don't matter. And you end up feeling crap mm -hmm. <laughs> at the end of the day. So the idea is um, that you you book these sessions in ahead of time. So you're prioritizing your deep work time, then you show up and you'll be amazed at what you can achieve. So yes, the deal at the moment, we're going to be, we're free at the moment, but we're launching a paid membership um, oh, from January onwards. It's, um, it's 180 pounds a year for unlimited sessions 
um, unlimited content that we offer. But if you join now and sign up for the early bird offer, which is flown.com slash early bird, you get it for half price. So £90 a year, which if you think about it, it's the cost of like one personal training session or, um, you know, and, and this is, think of this as like Peloton for work. Uh, and we'll whip you into the best mental shape of your life. <laughs> and, and guys, trust me, it, it does work. So if you are kind of working on your own, like remotely in the house and, and stuff, and you do need help focusing, this really, really does work. And it may sound nuts, like tuning into a Zoom meeting where you are kind of like silent, but the fact that you've got people there and you've shared your goals, you know, there's that level of accountability um, that comes into it. So it really does work. But I appreciate you, Alicia, for coming on. I hope that if you did listen to this, that you did actually pick up something as well, because this is a really important topic and quite an interesting one, um, the like. And also, just to be clear, this is not a sponsored thing. I literally asked Alicia to come on because her, her, her journey is actually very, very interesting. And having sat on a couple of the, the, the sessions, I found it very, very useful. So I thought, why not share it with you guys? But as always, remember, um, whatever you're doing this week, make sure you're as productive as possible. Remember, money is a tool, life is for living. Have an amazing week and I will catch you next Monday. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, be sure to check out other episodes and share with the people closest to you. New to investing? Check out Peter's course for first-time investors designed to give you the foundation you need. If you prefer one-on-one coaching, book a complimentary discovery with the man himself. All links in the show notes.